0: Presenting this month's special series, Focus on Allergy. Allergy season is in full swing. From asthma to food allergies, ReachMD is keeping you up to date with the latest in allergy medicine. Long-acting single-agent beta agonists should be used in tandem with the corticosteroid for the treatment of asthma. Despite an FDA black box warning to this effect, evidence suggests that nearly half of our patients do not take these medications together, which appears to result in more severe asthma attacks and an increased mortality risk. In theory, longer-acting beta agonists should help with compliance, but if these single-agent drugs aren't taken as recommended, is there a role for them in the treatment of asthma? You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Asthma. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Shu, practicing general pediatrician and author, Our guest is Dr. Jesse Jode, professor of pediatrics at the University of California Davis School of Medicine, and a former member of the Pulmonary and Allergy Drug Advisory Committee of the Food and Drug Administration. Welcome, Dr. Jode. Thank you. Happy to be here. Now, you also have a master's degree in clinical pharmacology and served on the FDA committee, which evaluated the use of these long-acting beta agonists, or also LABA, as we sometimes call them, for asthma. Why did the FDA recently study single-agent LABAs as well as those that are combined with a steroid in the same inhaler?
1: The reason is that the information we have to date was all done as studying the single-agent preparations. And that's the one that showed there was an increased risk of death from asthma in people who were taking them versus those who did not. So actually the interest was what could we find out about if they came in as a combined preparation? Would that be safer? And that was the sort of the dilemma that we had at our meeting.
0: So, can you give our audience a reminder of what the single-agent, long-acting beta-agnes drugs are that that were studied?
1: Yes. Salmeterol and formoterol are the generic names of the drugs. And they work by opening the airways for 12 hours at a time, basically, so that you can take them once in the morning, once at night. And it's like people are used to with Alburol, which works for only four hours, but which And that one is a short-acting one, but these long-acting ones go much longer. They're a lot more convenient. It seems like they should have been a good idea.
0: Are there any other long-acting ones that are on the market?
1: Those are the only two in the United States.
0: What are the combination steroid and long-acting beta agonist inhalers that are available?
1: Those are called Advair and Simbacort. Those are, of course, brand names I'm telling you now because it's a combination of two drugs for each of them.
0: With Advair being salmeterol and fluticasone and Simbacort being formoterol and budesonide. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. And so the review of the studies that you did, how many patients did you look at and, and what ages were they?
1: The studies were done in a large number of patients, particularly for Advair, and they showed that if you used Advair, it was not a risk to have a long-acting beta agonist in it as long as it was in a fixed combination with the inhaled corticosteroid. And that's in comparison with the studies that had shown that the LABA all by itself, even with people who were also prescribed a separate inhaler with inhaled corticosteroid, seemed to result in increased risk of asthma deaths.
0: So why might that be that having the medicines in the same inhaler is different from having the medicines in separate inhalers?
1: The main thought is that people are more adherent if they take one inhaler with both things in it. If you use that inhaler with the long-acting beta agonist in it, you will know later in the day whether you remember to take it or not because you can feel it. You don't feel every day whether you remember to take your inhaled corticosteroid. You feel exactly the same later in the day as you did earlier. It's a very preventive medicine that works in the long term, but you don't feel an immediate change. So it's easier to forget your inhaled corticosteroid inhaler than your long-acting beta-agonist inhaler. So if you put it all in one, then they'll remember to take their inhaled medicine, which includes automatically the two components that they really need to get. There are also some scientific thoughts behind it, inhaled corticosteroids, may make the beta long-acting beta agonist more effective and a safer way to take it than if it's not combined together.
0: So why might a single-agent long-acting beta agonist then cause asthma to become worse rather than better?
1: We don't know exactly how it is. There's various thoughts, and probably one of the best thoughts are that people don't notice that their asthma is getting worse that you have this medicine that makes you feel better every day, but it's not getting at the root cause of the asthma, which the inhaled corticosteroid does. So the studies show that a long-acting beta agonist makes you have less exacerbations and less symptoms. That's why we thought they were such a good thing in the first place. But if what it's doing is masking, worsening of the asthma, So that people don't notice that their asthma is starting to get worse until it's too late, then that's a problem for it. So I think that's probably our main thoughts behind it. There are certainly some other thoughts, like the one I just mentioned, where inhaled corticosteroids puts the receptors back on the top of the cells so that they're more able to act. And if you don't, if you take the one without the other, then you can get into some trouble.
0: Was it found that the effect of monotherapy with a long-acting agonist was different in children versus adolescents or adults?
1: There was a tendency for it to be worse in children than it was in adults. And it also, there was a tendency for it to be worse in African Americans than it was in Caucasians. So there were some tendencies along the way. Adolescents, it was... It just didn't seem like they had studied enough to make a strong position on adolescence. But it was a bigger concern in children.
0: And why do you think there was a, a bigger problem in children and African-Americans compared to the other populations?
1: I don't think we really know the answer to that. I guess I wouldn't even try to speculate. There's been some thoughts, some genetic thoughts that we thought for the African-Americans that really have not held out the way we thought they would. So I don't think we have a good answer to that.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu. Our guest is Dr. Jesse Jode, professor of pediatrics at the University of California Davis School of Medicine and a former member of the Pulmonary and Allergy Drug Advisory Committee of the Food and Drug Administration. We're discussing the use of long-acting beta agonists for asthma, Have you found that physicians are continuing to prescribe these LABAs as monotherapy?
1: I can tell you that my physical therapist the other day, that was her therapy. And I said, go see your doctor. You really, that's not recommended anymore. It's not a good idea. And she did and got put on Advair and is much happier and much better controlled. So I know from that story anyway that it's not a universally accepted change and that there still are people out there receiving monotherapy, which is why we as a group suggested that it not even be sold in that way, that it only be sold as a combined product.
0: What about the long-term use of long-acting beta agonists with the, the steroid, so as Advair or Simbacord? Is it safe to use the combination medicines for long-term use, or should the goal be to get the patient on a single-agent steroid for maintenance of asthma sooner rather than later?
1: Well, we don't really know. I mean, no one's done a very long study on that, but as far as we know, there is no long-term effects that would in some way accumulate the way the national guidelines are written now, which are really very good, there are steps of therapy based on given what therapy you're on right now and then looking at whether you're in good control on that therapy, and they have very good definitions that are great for what control might mean. Then you step up or you step down. So at the high end are where people have more trouble, the high steps, you take ADVERE at various doses, and if you're well-controlled on Advair, then you step down, and you do end up on just inhaled corticosteroids, so it's nothing the doctor can really do. They can't make your asthma better, your underlying asthma better, but they can make sure that you're getting the step of therapy that you need for the amount of asthma you're having right now.
0: Now, some people have disagreed with a recommendation to end the indication for use of single-agent LABAs for asthma. What do you think they might see in the evidence that pushes them to think this way?
1: Right. The arguments that I heard at our FDA meeting had to do with that it was taking away choice by the doctor. That the way, if we say it can only be a combination, then it can only be this steroid with this LABA or, you know, the one that's in Advair or the ones that you mentioned are in Simbacort. So what if you wanted to use a different inhaled corticosteroid? You couldn't because it's not available as a combined. But my argument against that is that we don't have good evidence that says this corticosteroid is much better than this other one. And I think it would be very hard with an individual patient to say, this, this corticosteroid is better than this other one. So given that general lack of knowledge between corticosteroids, I don't think a physician needs to be able to have that kind of choice and mix and match their own way. I think we can go with what's available and be perfectly fine.
0: What do you think is the best way of communicating the level of risk of the use of monotherapy, long-acting beta agonists, both to physicians who prescribe them as well as to patients?
1: I just strongly believe that people should not be on them and that when you discuss them with your patient, you should say you are at risk of death if you're taking this as a monotherapy, not just as a side effect. You're at risk for death from the disease you have if you take this as your, as your treatment. So I would just move everybody off of it that I have. And in some ways, you're going to scare them. I understand that. But if they're not wanting to move to something that's a combined therapy, oftentimes that means you need to work with them on the inhaled corticosteroids. A lot of people have concerns about that. And you just need to work them through why inhaled corticosteroids are essential for prevention of persistent asthma and that the side effects are very small and the benefits are very great, and get them over that. And then after that, it doesn't matter to the patient as far as the convenience. They're still going to take something in the morning, something at night, like they did before. So that's not usually an issue.
0: What do you see as the next steps for studying the safety of long-acting beta agonist use?
1: I guess personally I think we've studied it enough as far as its risks and whether it should be used as a monotherapy. So I think that has been decided, and it should always be used as a combined therapy. You can always continue to refine any individual drug and have some benefit over what was there in the past. But the number of patients that are in the studies that showed the risk is 25,000. And then that's more than one study that big. So it's been looked at very well and I think doesn't have to be revisited.
0: Is there anything that you would like for our listeners to know about the treatment of asthma, especially with long-acting beta agonist medicines?
1: I guess my main thing I always like to get across to people with asthma is that we have not in the past set our sights as high as we should. For asthma, So if asthma is well-controlled, they'll have symptoms less than twice a week. They'll not be waking up in general due to their asthma. They won't have interference with their activities. They won't ever go to the emergency room. They won't ever go to the hospital. And if people realize that asthma can be that well-controlled, we would be so much better off. I mean, there are ways to make that happen for everybody with asthma. And I think people set their sights too low. The physicians do, the care providers, and then the patients. You know, they have asthma, their mother had asthma, their grandmother had asthma. People just think, well, that's a disease you just run to the emergency room for, and they just fix you up and send you out, and then you come in again a month later. And it's very sad that people are living that way in this day and age. Our medicines are just way too good for that, people to be living with that kind of morbidity.
0: So we should definitely set the bar a little bit higher and expect better for our patients with asthma.
1: Exactly. And the guidelines help you do that. So they they give you some direction on how to make that happen.
0: I'd like to thank our guest Dr. Jesse Jode. We've been discussing the use of long-acting beta agonists for asthma. I'm Dr. Jennifer Shu. You've been listening to ReachMD Radio on XM 160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD Online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Allergy. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com.